Well, we've been working our way through 1 Thessalonians, and we are just about done. And remember, in particular, some unique things about 1 Thessalonians is this is the first book that Paul ever wrote. And it's a small book. And you know what's another unique thing about this is Paul was only able to be there three Sabbaths, one month total because of the persecution. He had to be on the way. So he was there a short time. This is the first letter that he wrote. And as we end up in this final chapter here, it's, it's sort of a little Christian uh, foundation Bible study. He's sort of going through a whole list of items quickly, a grocery, lo- grocery store list of items of things that are important, but yet not going to be expanded on as he's most concerned about getting this letter to them quickly. So today we pick up and look at the verses, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 through 15. The title of today's message is How to Love Your Leaders. So everybody listen really good. Um, Verse 12 through 15. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake, Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with love, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. So Paul's beginning the very practical advice of how the church is to operate And first of all, in verse 12, he says, I urge you, this is a strong word. It's like, I beg you, I plead with you, brethren. You know what he's going to say? He says in in this little tiny book, he says, brethren, 17 times. Who do you think he's writing to? (laughs) The brethren. Yes. Knowing, beloved brethren, you know, brethren, remember, brethren, it's for you, brethren, but we, brethren, therefore, brethren, finally, then, brethren, making it clear that this is written to the family of God, and I think importantly, to those who have spiritual discernment. Have you noticed, as we are in these last days One of the prophecies Peter gives us is people will mock when you talk about the rapture of the church. That's one of the signs of the time. People say, you Christians have always been saying that. Look, everything's just the way it was from the very beginning. It's interesting how that repulses them. Yet, in this little book of 1 Thessalonians, having only been there three Sabbaths, he says, you guys know perfectly well, and, and talks about, the rapture and talks about how the Christians need to beware and to be prepared for that season if you are the one left in the rapture or in that season before the rapture. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2 where he says, but um, God's revealed it to us who are believers by the Spirit. He says the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit because it takes the Spirit of God to understand them. But instead, the natural man hears the spiritual truths and it's foolish to, foolishness to them because they can't discern it. 
But we who are spiritual discern all things because we have the mind of Christ. So, brethren, (laughs) those who have the Spirit of God in you, those who have the ability to spiritually discern things, recognize those who are in leadership over you. To recognize them, to pay attention to them. It also can mean to, to appreciate or to be thankful for them. Rick Gather says, when somebody is putting themselves out there to serve others in the body of Christ, it's important to recognize that God is at work. You know, have you noticed the closer you get to people, like a bunch of porcupines, the deeper we poke? And sometimes we just want to stay away from humanity because humanity pokes and unfortunately, when we got born again, we still have our humanity, don't we? And we still step on each other's toes. And we still poke each other. Even when we are trying to love one another. Let me give you a big hug. Ah, you're sticking me deeper than you ever have. That's just the way it is with human beings. When you really need man, is when man will be there the least. That's why David says, vain is the help of man. we got to... Get our eyes on the Lord. Now, those who rule over you, realize, be thankful, because they're just humans. (laughs) And they bleed like everybody else. Years ago, there was a study that came out. And the average seminary at that time, which I'm talking 25 years ago, was 10 people graduated every, on average, from seminary to be pastors. But with only five of them would actually make it to the ministry. And after nine years, there would only be one left in the ministry. And they ask why. And the number one reason is they just were getting pounded by people. Their wife was getting pounded. Their kids were getting, it was just too much for them. Of course, as Christian leaders, we realize that is the reality. Because leaders often represent their dads, their boss, that mean school teacher. And if you have bitterness in your heart, you have a tendency to revolve that bitterness towards authority. So if it's at school, you'll have that heart of disrespect towards a teacher. If you're in the military, you'll have that hateful attitude towards the commander. And then you get... It can go towards the police officer who pulls you over. It can go, it'll go to each authority in your life and often the pastor or leaders in the church or that authority. And they're bringing up that bitterness that they've had since maybe even childhood. There's a lot of human reasons. And it's just something that we take the punches. Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing. But Paul is saying here, guys, realize, don't, don't take these guys for granted. Don't think that, you're going to always have them around if you keep punching on them. They, they've got their limits as well. But Christian, Christians are to recognize the leaders, and the leaders are described in, in three different ways here. One, a leader needs to be one who labor among you. I like that word among. It's not 
here over you. It's, it's one of you. Realize that a leader in the church, a pastor of the church, is your brother in Christ first. And then they have their role, a hand, an ear, a foot, an eye, secondly. Right? First, we're just brothers in the Lord, and we should treat one another as brothers in the Lord. And a Christian leader shouldn't be like he's in charge of you. That's not how Christ acted. What, did, did Christ walk around and I'm in charge here, get back in line, Peter? Rah, 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 rah. No, he didn't. Among them, people that were poor, people that were infirmed, had no problem keeping Jesus up till three in the morning to pray for them and talk to them. Jesus was among them. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. He nails it here. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers of your joy, for by faith we stand. So leaders are those who are among you, who come alongside you and strengthen you, not come over you, but come alongside you. And so if you're listening today and you're at a church somewhere and the leadership of that church is over you and they let you know they're over you and you need to obey them and listen to them, you're probably in a cult. Get out. Because in the church, no, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. And yes, I'm the mouth. I'm speaking. <laughs> but does that mean everything I say is correct? No. Does that mean humanly I'll say things sometimes that I shouldn't say? Almost every sermon, right? <laughs> I offend somebody somewhere. But, but the reality is, is, is that I want you to question me. I, I don't want you to come and say, well, you're the pastor. I, I should never question you. Hey, we're all fellow Christians. Question everybody. Your faith, you're standing before God with your faith. It's not like the Catholic Church says, you know, come to confessional and I'll bless you when you die. And, you know, don't worry about it. I've got you covered. No, nobody's got you covered but Jesus. Everybody's going to give personal account to him. Every one of us need to study the word of God to show ourselves approved, a worker in the word of God. All of us need to meditate on his word day and night. All of us need to know the truth, and that truth will set you free from you to Jesus. And so, again here, we shouldn't have dominion over your faith. And Paul, I do not believe that was that way at all. Peter also says it very, very well. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, Nor of being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I love that. Being among the sheep as those who labor. You know that word labor literally is to toil to weariness, to be tired and exhausted. I'll tell you, if you've been a leader for a while, and we have some fantastic leaders here in this church, they'll all tell you they are exhausted at times. The women, the men, the elders, the deacons, because that's the way kids are. Kids exhaust you. <laughs> and, you know, I may be somebody 10 years younger than you, but in a sense, because of the role I'm playing, 
I'm the parent in this relationship, and being a parent is exhausting. Being a shepherd, trying to shepherd the sheep constantly is exhausting, and, and it's okay. Because of love, exhaust me. I'm okay with that. Out of love, I'm willing to be spent, to, be, to spend and be spent for the cause of Christ, Paul said. In Galatians 6, 9, a passage we know well, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season you shall reap if you do not lose heart. So all of us leaders that are here, in whatever degree, and you know, I might even add, as parents, you're leaders spiritually of your little church at home, aren't you? Don't let us grow weary. And then he does say, and are over you in the Lord. So they're among you as laborers, and they're over you in the Lord. Spiritually, God has designed in the church, not that people are greater than, but are in authority over. You see, a police officer is not greater than you. He's not a better American. He's not a greater human being. But when he's got his uniform on, and he's in his car, and he turns the lights on, he is an authority over you, right? And then you don't recognize him, then the whole department will be over you. And if you don't recognize that department, the whole state will, will be over you and the whole fed, the entire nation will be against you. See, there's an authority in the same way we are under the authority of God. God's backing up that authority to be able to lead and to rule and to help. So it is providing headship. David Guzik says this, this describes a clear and legitimate order of authority by God. Paul says it this way in Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Wow, do you realize that? James says, let few among you be teachers, knowing you're having a stricter judgment. We are going to have to give an account of what we have said and what we have done and how we have served and how we have led. Did you roll a church with an iron hand? Then that wasn't like Jesus. Did you, whatever, try to pump people for money <laughs> for the next whatever? That wasn't Jesus. Were you there to serve them? Did you love them? Did you tell them accurate doctrine? And he goes on to say in Hebrews 13, 17, the final part of that, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Paul also says in Romans 12, 8, he who leads, leads with diligence. What is a leader? He's somebody who's dependable. You want to be a leader? Be that dependable person. When you say you're going to be there, you're there. When you say you're going to do something, do something. In essence, that's what a leader is. A leader is somebody who's here setting things up, whether you're here or not. <laughs> They're at home printing materials for the kids' ministry, whether you come or not. They're here practicing for the worship team, whether you're here or not. Leaders are those who are in doing diligently every time for the body. And what does he say to those who are over you in the Lord? This is your job. He says you need to admonish them. The word there is, is a strong word. It's warn, to caution, or to reprove gently. 
Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word in season and out of season, but then convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Henry Morris said, while this is a tone of brotherliness, it is a big brotherliness. <laughs> so we need to be the big brother, so to speak, as a leader in the church. God's given us authority not to rule over, but to lead. They're using the word rule or overseer. Uh, it's a person who is the big brother to nudge people along, to say hard things, even warnings at times. In Hebrews 10, 24, he says, all of us need to consider one another in order to stir up. That word, stir up, it literally is to irritate to one another, to love and good works. You know what one, what a big brother does? He irritates the, the younger kids. Be a big brother to, to spur on people, to provoke people to greater love and good works. And again, in Hebrews 13, 70, he said, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So when a leader's leading, you don't want to go toe-to-toe with them and say, hey, you think you can tell me what to do? Let's take it outside. I'll tell you what to do. You know, it's, it wouldn't be profitable for you. When, you. when you think about a lot of the stuff the leaders do, it would be easier for them not to lead. Right? It would be easier for me not to warn you. It'd be easier for me not to nudge you. It would be easier for the other leaders in the church not to say, hey, brother, how are you doing? Because this and that. It would be easier not to delve into those things. And often as a leader, you're churning. You're not sleeping good. Your stomach's hurting because you know you've got to confront somebody on something. Believe me, it's better for you to say, man, do you realize what it took for them to talk to me about that? Respect that. They have a hard job already. Don't make it harder for them. They've got to give an account for your souls. So let them lead without you causing them grief. That would be, in the end, unprofitable for you. So we see one job, but three job descriptions. One is to labor, to serve among you, being an example to you. Number two, to rule over you, to direct you, to be a leader. And third, to admonish, correct gently. A quick note, we're not there yet, but in verse 25, we'll get there. It also says to pray for them. (laughs) So there's another job description for everybody, for leaders. And then also in verse 13, it goes on to say, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourself. To esteem, I like the NIV It says, hold them in the highest regard. Get an amen? No, I'm kidding. Um, But another translation is to think well of them. How? In love. Well, I don't think of them. Okay, turn on love. Okay, now I think well of them. Well, I don't think well of them. Well, God gave them to us. I, I, as a young teenager, I read a whole bunch of missionary books and, and a, lot, a lot of other leaders in the church. 
And one of them I read was an early autobiography by Billy Graham. And he was talking about his first ministry out of seminary. <laughs> and he says, I truly was the world's worst pastor. He goes, I was. And the people were miserable. And I was miserable. And I couldn't, I knew what I had to do, and I just couldn't do it good enough. From leading to organizing to preaching, every aspect. And, and then he, he can sense the people were grumbling and grumbling. And finally, I, I, one of the leaders of the church or one of the old women in the church, I don't remember, got up and, and said, until you have prayed for Billy to be the man of God he's to be, you cannot complain about him being, not being the man of God he's to be. And God did something to the people of the church, a little tiny church, and they started praying, and God started using him powerfully, and unfortunately, it didn't last very long in that little church. His ministry exploded. So again, I think a lot of times it's easy to be negative. It's easy to be critical. It's easy. It takes no effort because that's our sinful nature, right? But we need to respect them, esteem them, hide them, love them for the work's sake. Because what God is doing is important. I remember years ago, my family, we took a trip across the United States, took, a, I think, three weeks off. I've never done that before or since, I don't think. But we ended up visiting big church Calvary chapels and small Calvary chapels. And I would go to some of these little tiny churches out in the middle of Kansas, and I would get some tapes from the pastor and listen to him in the car while I'm driving, and I'm like, this is truly the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. This guy should be, you know, on, the, on every radio station in the nation. But yet he just is pastoring this little church of a handful of people out in Kansas. Then I go to some big church and I'm like listening to this guy preach going, I couldn't live on this. This doesn't feed me. I mean, it's very entertaining. And I'm glad he shook hands with the president of the Philippines. And, and I'm glad that he got to sit next to an ambassador on the the plane coming back, but it, it didn't help me grow. And I, and I, just, I just realized, man, I have to be, as, as a Christian, as a Christian, I need to be under somebody that's teaching verse by verse where I can grow. And then I, I realized I'm not setting up, it's me. I need to be that person that for whatever faults or weaknesses have not to entertain, and I, I squash to entertain. You say, well, Ryan, you're too funny sometimes. Believe me, I, I'm thinking of 10, I could have everybody in stitches the whole time. I have to suppress it. I have to fight it. I have to not say it. But yet I, I, I know this, that these verses, you will know what they say by the end of this passage. And I believe by the Holy Spirit in prayer, crying out to God, to, to speak through me and to speak to your hearts. And so again, those who, for the work's sake, for the work's sake, esteem them in love, for they labor on your behalf doing God's work. Tim, Paul tells Timothy, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word 
and doctrine. Count, give them double honor, those who are laboring in the word and doctrine. Now, again, I don't, I am not saying that anybody follow any leader blindly. Well, he's our leader. We got to do what he says. Untrue. 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 He is your leader. Love him. Doesn't say blindly do what he says. And God is not telling anybody, if you really are submitted, you'll put your brain in neutral and drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak. (laughs) You know, do whatever they say. No, no. To challenge a leader, hey, you said this word, and I happened to look it up in the Greek while you said the Greek word said this. That's not the Greek word. I've done that before. I've gotten the wrong Greek word. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And and I've actually... (laughs) I've done that with many pastors. I don't take their word for it anymore. I I research it myself. But yeah, pastors make mistakes, and so that's fine. Correct them. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Then next it says, to be at peace among yourself. You want to bless the leaders? Don't quarrel with each other. That really makes things hard when people are squabbling in the church and you're up here and you're knowing that guy over there is really mad at that guy. Or those two people, they're in the same church, but they can't stand each other. And they don't even go to the same women's Bible study because of that. That's, that's hard. Be at peace. It's just like parents, right? You want your kids all happy and being at peace with one another. I love Psalm 133. This was a psalm where Moses was thinking maybe about the people being at peace. And he says in Psalms 133, verses 1 through 3, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for what? For brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like that moment when Aaron was anointed to be priest. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edges of his garment is like the dew of Hebron, the mountains up high, descending upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessings life forevermore. Paul had told them earlier in chapter 5, verse 11, we looked last week, that, that they are to encourage one another, build each other up just as they are doing. They are doing this, continue to do this. There are so many scriptures on being at peace with one another. Bear with me for a minute, and let me just give you sort of a bunch of them. You guys know Matthew 5, 9, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers what? The multitude of sins. Romans 4, 9, 14, 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify one another. Colossians three fifteen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called into one body and be thankful. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, a humility, let each esteem others, what? Better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How did Jesus lead? 
He was among them. He was an example to them. How did he think? He thought of everybody, no matter how lowly they were, as better than himself. He always looked for their interests before his own interest. In James 3, verse 17 and 18, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable, gentle. Here's, two, here's three very important words if you're squabbling with somebody or angry with somebody. Willing to yield. Have you seen those things where the guy will move into his house and he's going to build a new fence and the neighbor's mad because he thinks he built it on his property? And then they're having this fight over and getting the county out, and they're still not, they're still mad even after the, they get the county out. About, and then they build a fence that's 25 feet high. Have you seen this? I mean, I, I'm looking at that just like going, willing to yield. Just, neighbor, where do you think I should build this fence? That's where I'll build it. Well, he just took a foot of your property. Okay, but I have peace. <laughs> I have peace with my neighbor. Is that worth a foot of my property? It is. It's just, again, it's a, it's a spirit of pride within our sinful nature saying, I want my rights. But the wisdom from above is peaceful, gentle, willing to yield. And then he goes on there in James 3, and good fruits. Can you put it back up there? And good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who what? Make peace. You're sowing peace and making peace. In 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Well, verse 14 now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. So now we're going to the people in the body. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. So there's four different categories. There's the unruly. There's the faint-hearted that need to be comforted. And then there's the weak that need to be upheld. And then there's just everybody <laughs> that needs a lot of patience to give us room to, to make mistakes and give us room to grow, Right? So he exhorts them once again, and he warns them. This word warn, it's the same word translated earlier, admonish. Same exact word. Admonish the unruly. The word here in the Greek literally means not in order. It's a military word when a guy's out of step in ranks. He's not, he's not being in rank in order as he ought to be as a soldier. He's a self-willed individual. Bottom line, I think that's the best way to translate it. Warn those who are self-willed individuals. You, you see people like that at church. You have all kinds of people. But there are people that come to church, sometimes for decades. And they, they just sort of ride the coattails of everybody else. Everybody ties so we can have a building and have money to do stuff, but they don't. They'll throw a few bucks in here and there. They'll show up late and they'll leave early. <laughs> they don't go to the mission trips. They don't fellowship. They don't pray for people. A lot of times those people eventually do it five times a year. 
And they show up at the Christmas thing going, oh, this is so wonderful. Yeah, do you know how we have this special night? <laughs> it's by the 52 weeks ahead of this night. It's, it's not like we didn't exist. It's like we don't exist until we know you're coming and then everybody shows up and, and we have ushers and chairs and sound and worship. Everybody's Sunday school ministry. Everybody's doing everything now so we can serve you. It's like there's a point in maturity, isn't there? That says maturity is not just being served. It's serving. It's not being, it's not everybody else gives so I don't have to give. Everybody else serve so I don't have to serve. Everybody needs to forgive me so I don't have to forgive anybody else. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a mentality that, that cannot work in the church. But yet often, and I, and as you know, I pastored a church of thousands, and, and you, you will literally have a thousand, two thousand people that look at church that way. They, they come to just leech off it, and then once they're done leeching, once they're done sucking what they think they got out of that church, they then go to the next church. You know, it's new and exciting for a while. And they'll leech off of that and they'll jump to the next one. You don't want to be that kind of Christian. You want to be a Christian that, that goes through every season of the church. It takes years. You go through a season in Genesis. You go through a season in Revelation. You go through a season in the Minor Prophets. You go through a season of hard times, of confronting sin. You go through a season of rejoicing. You go through a season of evangelism. It's all a part of the growth, but it's, it's that maturity. And in essence, he's telling the church, you all need to be a part of this. Because a lot of times, if the pastor or the main elders are the one dealing with the unruly person, it, it just, it can end right there. So as a pastor, if somebody's mad at you, they'll still come to church. If they're mad at me, they won't come to church. <laughs> Do you see? So if you see an unruly brother, you don't go, well, that's Brian's job. Oh, that's Dennis's job. That's Kurt's job. No, if God's showing it to you in gentleness and love, you're not going to condemn. You're not going to tell them they're horrible. You're just telling them they're out of step. Get, get in step. You're, you're, you're being self-seeking. You're being self-serving. You're not putting everybody's interest before your interest. You're putting your own interest before them. You're seeing every, yourself as better than everybody else. You don't have to come in time. You don't have to fellowship. You don't have to give. You don't have to serve. You don't have to be a part of the body. You're above all of that. The, the other lesser Christians, you know, they, they, they need to do all that stuff for me. It's, it's a death to any church. And then Paul says, just as we commanded you to do. So he's reminding them, we told you about this. Amazing, three weeks and all of this he taught them. So it's, again, <clears throat> trying to figure it out. And let me just tell you, just a side note. When you confront people, you're going to get one of two responses. You talk to a wise person, they will change. They will grow. They won't like it. Nobody likes being told they're wrong. Nobody likes being stretched. Nobody likes 
being told they're out of step. Now I got I just walking around just real happy for a long time until you told me I, now I can't even enjoy marching anymore. Yeah, I know, but you got to get in step. And so then the other response is a foolish one. And you'll end up getting a scar for yourself. Listen to these two Proverbs. In Proverbs 9, 7 and 8, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. But he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. In Proverbs 17.10, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. And then comfort the faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted here is two words that mean small-souled. Small-souled. They're, they're people that are just always on the edge of quitting. <laughs> they're always on the edge of giving up. They, they have little ability to, to make it without a lot of encouragement. I honestly think all of us have been probably in that place within our lifetime, haven't we? If it wasn't for that person encouraging you to whatever, stay in band or stay in sports or stay in school or they, they helped you along the way. And this is what it's saying. Help the faint hearted, comfort them, uphold the weak. It literally means to cleave to the weak, grab onto them. It's almost like a person who's in the water and, and just they're going to drown and grab onto them. Say, keep kicking. Don't stop. And then be patient with all, everybody, wise people, foolish people, strong people, weak people, whoever they are, be patient. The word patient here is literally to bear long, to suffer long. You know, Jesus said there's one reason divorce happens, lack of love, hardness of heart. I have seen people forgive people horrendous things. And then I've seen people divorce over the tiniest things. And I've realized it's just a matter of your willingness to your heart. Well, I can't forgive that. Actually, you can. <laughs> I've seen many people do. No, not me. I just, well, it's, it's a matter of the enlargement of your heart. God will give you a love you don't have. There, there is a possibility there. And so here he is saying, be patient, open your heart up, Comfort, hold up, strengthen everybody. I love what Dave Guzik says. Christianity is not looking for the perfect people or the perfect church to minister to and to minister with. Because Christianity is shown by its ability to love and help difficult people. That's really the sign of who we are. Final verse here, verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. This is a subject I think we've heard quite a bit before, haven't we? In Romans 12, verse 17 to 21, Paul has a lot to say about that. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know what happens when it depends upon you? You got to forgive more. You got to humble more. You got to give more. You got to get the short end of the stick even more, right? That neighbor who 
has moved your property line a foot. Well, now the next day they want you to quit parking their car and <laughs> we're in front of your own house. And now they, you know, there's just that point where it's, it's, they're going to keep digging in and digging in. It is possible. It's just you have to die to yourself at a greater degree. You've got to put his interest before your interests in a way you've never done before. And he goes on in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap up coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. Then, of course, Jesus Man, of all times, the best, best said of all times. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Sounds good to me. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Sounds good. In our human nature, that sounds right. But I say to you, love your enemies. Well, what if I just don't hate them? Is that good enough? Nope. You got to love them. And then you got to bless them and not curse them. you got to do good to them and not hate them. Or those who bless those who curse you and do to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the good and the, the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collector do the same? And if you greet those brethren, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What's it mean to be perfect? Is God as perfect? Shining on the evil as well as the good. Loving the evil as well as the good. Loving those who love you, that's sort of easy. Liking those who like you, sinners can do that. Evil people can do that. But I say to you, it's not loving those who love you, but love those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who spitefully treat you. And be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We receive Jesus Grace, straight from the Father. The image of the Father, perfect, perfect in Jesus. Grace upon grace, right? And of his fullness we've all received. There's a saying that says, evil for good, giving somebody evil for good is demonic. Evil for evil is human but doing good for evil is divine. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for others. David Guzik says this, when we have a forgiving heart towards others, not only is it good for them, but it's also good for yourself. You know that? Being angry and bitter, it's really going to destroy you. So as we end here today, how do you treat leaders? Recognize them, esteem them, 
Live at peace with yourselves for their sake. Pray for them, submit and obey to them. Leaders are those who labor, that is serving, to rule over, that is directing and leading, admonish to gently correct. All Christians need to forgive all, to love all, to be patient with all. First Peter 4, 8, once again, above all these things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers the multitude of sin. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word today. We do ask, God, that you would do much, much, much more in our hearts and our minds. We know most of these truths, but yet we are being washed in the water of your word, that we would have a deeper depth, <laughs> that seed would go deeper into our soul than it's ever gone before, that water would be watered more fully than it's ever been watered before, that our church here would be the church that's patient with all, loving all, gentle with all, that it would be known amongst us that we're a bunch of porcupines and we're causing each other to bleed, but oh, how they love each other still. And that people would see your love as we love one another and they'll say, I want to be a part of that loving group of people. Thank you again for giving us grace of your spirit to rightly divide your word of truth. And thank you for giving us grace to hear it. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you say, what is that? How do I do that? It is asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The Bible says that God loves you. He sent his son as a gift to you. He died on the cross in your place, paying for the penalty of your sin. But when he was buried and rose again, he conquered your sin and conquered death. Now to be absent from this body, you'll be present with the Lord to those who believe. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. You won't stand before God in judgment, but you'll have everlasting life. If you want God to write your name in the book of life right now, just believe. Jesus, I come to you. Forgive me. Thank you for loving me and dying on the cross and being buried and on the third day raising again. Be the Lord of my life. I surrender myself to you. And wash all of us in the water of the word. This week, as we meditate on these things, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.